Okay, so I'm here with my friend Martin Bragger, who's all the way over the other side of the world. So he's just got up and I'm heading to bed shortly. He's in uh-huh. all the way over in New South Wales in Australia. And we've known each other for a few years now, haven't we, Martin? Um, Quite a long time, yes. Yeah, we we used to help organise a, a conference each year around the theme of mission and disciple making and movement. So Martin used to come over to that and hopefully he was encouraged by it. And yes. um, yeah, just thought it'd be good to have a catch up and to hear Martin's story and some of the things that he's been up to. So Martin, why don't you introduce yourself and share a bit of your story? Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity, Ben. It's great to catch up. Um, we should have probably done it some time ago more often, <laughs> but great to be with you today and to share our common passion for um, bringing people to Christ in in probably different ways to has been done in the past. Um, about my story, well, I'm English. Uh, I grew up near Birmingham, Sutton Coalfield, in a non-Christian family, um, became a raging atheist. <laughs> Um, till my mid-30s really uh, or early 30s um, uh, went to grew up went to Sheffield University studied engineering which became my first career uh, and then worked in engineering positions firstly in Swansea in South Wales uh, with the Welsh Water Authority then I got a job with the Hong Kong Water Authority uh, as uh, water operations engineer on Hong Kong Island it was there that I and my wife actually we we got converted, which is pretty uh, rugged experience for a raging atheist. But anyway, that's a long story. <laughs> but I'll briefly, you know, we, my wife met some Christian people and we got to be friends, and it's a long story. But basically, um, as a result of that relationship, we I anyway, I use C.S. Lewis's words. My description of my conversion was being dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. <laughs> Not, uh, yeah, I wasn't wanting it, and I fought very hard. But in the end, I had to give. Interestingly, I had to give in. I gave in in my office, which is in the middle of the red light district of Hong Kong, so yeah. <laughs> it's a strange place to get converted. But anyway, so I became a, a Christian in Hong Kong. Then we, I got a job in Australia. That's how we came here. Never intending to stay, but here we are, decades later. Yeah. Um, got in, did some study, theological study. Uh, at uh, Ridley College in Melbourne, actually, um, then was ordained into the Anglican Church in Melbourne, uh, which was, uh, say, this is a progression. Actually, going to theological college was the result of a serious car accident we had on the, on a camping weekend at Kakadu, and wow. God laid me down for a couple of weeks and made me think about. What I should do with my life, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and as friends have been saying already, and I should go and get go get ordained as an Anglican commissioner. So I did anyway. Went down there, got ordained in Melbourne, served in a couple of parishes in Melbourne in uh, in Victoria, then was appointed uh, senior minister of a Anglican church in Wollongong, New South Wales, which we renamed Crossroads Christian Community while I was there. Okay. But anyway, as part of um, from my conversion, I've always been a passionate evangelist, and I became even though I was running the show, sort of. I mean, God's running the show, but I thought I was running the show. <laughs> I thought um, I got constantly, increasingly frustrated. I mean, in terms of you compare us with other Anglican parishes, we did quite well in terms of new converts. But I became aware this just wasn't enough, nowhere near enough, considering what was happening to the church and Christianity in Australia. So I started yeah. to think about that. And so, and then I developed um, what I think you call a mixed economy church, that is, make, developed a network of small missional communities in the community, in pubs and clubs. And we turned our play groups into them as well. And a youth group, we turned into missional communities. Um so we had a network, which I call CrossNet. Um, we ended up with about eight different communities in my locality. And then um, 
a friend of mine who came and saw what I was doing and he went and did it down in South West Sydney and he's got about five of them. So I don't know, a dozen, 14 different communities uh, before I left there. Um, so that was basically how I got to be. Oh, then now I'm now I'm just running the mission of community network, which we call unbounded church. Unbounded mean we've taken all the walls away because we meet in public places or where public have access anyway. Um, that's why it's called. And the bounds have been taken. Not just the physical walls of church buildings, but also the cultural barriers, which I think there's a huge chasm between where the church is at and uh, where the society is at. I, I call the difference difference between a cultural earth and a cultural Pluto. Largely, most church people live on a cultural earth, whereas most of the societies move to Pluto, basically. <laughs> so, you know, that's that was what was driving. A passion for seeing people converted, a frustration, I call a holy discontent with how the church, I mean, the institutional church was actually um, achieving things. So that's basically where I got to where I'm at. Yeah. So, so what you just kind of said, you were, so you were leading this church. So you were a vicar or you had some. Well, I call them rectors. Yeah, they're both terrible names. <laughs> yeah. And, and you said that you kind of saw some quite good things. Now, for us in the UK, um you know we've heard of some quite big successful churches that have come out of australia um in terms of numbers and in terms of maybe impact or anything but you were sensing something different maybe that actually something needed to change or tell us a bit about that well the big churches you got to probably what's success um, big, there are some big churches, some very big churches, which have large attendances. So the first thing you've got to ask is, yeah, well, where did all these people come from? And large numbers are from other churches. Yeah. Uh, the I call that the transferee mirage, <laughs> you know, because because the churches can look healthy on Sunday mornings. You know, you say there's a good crowd here, but then. Go walk around. I'd ask anybody to do this who goes to it. Go walk around and ask, do a bit of a, you know, straw poll and ask people, where did you come from? I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, there's a church near me, which we sort of attend occasionally. And I was speaking to the minister and he, because of COVID, they used to run welcoming dinners, newcomer dinners. Yeah. Um, but they hadn't been able to do one for a long time because of COVID. So this was covering a long period of time. And they got about 40 people along to this new welcoming newcomers, new person's dinner because it was over a long period of time. Uh, but only one of those had not come from another church. So you've got to ask analytical questions of a church that claims success, right? And um, so that's why I ask, you know, where did the people come from? That's one thing. But also, and I want to applaud and acknowledge there are churches that are doing good things and seeing a relatively high level of new Christians. But the fact of the matter is, Ben, that in Australia, and in my book, I've done most of the countries, there's just still decline of the Christian body. Yeah. So whatever we're doing, even the good ones, are just nowhere near good enough. And I think the, um, the need is to multiply fellowships because we because if you look at the gap the trend of population growth yeah. we'll have to leave covid out for a bit but it'll get back to it the trend of population growth and the and the decline of church membership um there's a big gap between those two things church membership is at best stable in actual fact going down whereas population is going up so in order to reverse that trend, we have to produce a lot of new fellowships quickly. And you can't do that with a large church. It's just not possible. You can't finance it. It's just practically impossible. So it's a model which all have some success. It can't be enough. That's my response to that question. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so you began to look at a different, maybe the right word is fruitfulness rather than success. Um, 
a different yeah, well, measure of fruitfulness. Be, is that what you? Yeah, yeah. Well, missional fruitfulness, which means new new Christians. Yeah. Not just big congregations. Yeah. Um, but I do and acknowledge the, that, the um, people I mean, in your. Go on, sorry. Well, the church I was running before I left it, we had about 300, which is a medium-sized one. It's a fair size. It's not small. Yeah. And as I said, we were doing quite well as against the average church in terms of new people, new real. I call them. I think the best measure we've got. I mean, only God knows who's converted, yeah. right? I can't say who's converted, but the measure I use, I think, is the best one we've got. Our new, our de-churched and unchurched people. In other words, was this person attending a church prior to coming here who had never attended or hadn't attended for a long time? That's the measure I use for fruitfulness. I'm not sure. If you've got a better one, I'd love to know it because uh, we need well, to, yeah. <laughs> no. so, so you went from being a professional Christian leader who did things in a church setting to... So doing something very different, really, would you say? Yes, but I'll, but I'd started to develop the network thing before I left because we had a parallel thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, and so, what would be your hopes when you were seeing these kind of missional communities developing and people gathering outside of the walls of a church building? What what were your hopes, or what were you encouraging people to do? or to become well the, the the intention of the groups is to be a kingdom presence or a kingdom outbreak in the neo-pagan world that we now or society we now live in yeah so we mean public places where we are visible uh intentionally visible so like the other two days ago um we've got a group that meets in a in a uh, well, what's British Legion? It's basically a returned servicemen's league okay. club. Um, yep. I'll use British Legion. That's the British version, probably. I don't know. Anyway, um, and and people come up and see what, see what we're doing and ask questions, and sometimes they join. But the other day, we had one of the members who's all himself been attracted to the group just because we were there. By the way, that's one of our slogans. When something good happens, apart from the fact we give thanks to God, the slogan is, why did this happen? Because we were there. Okay, yeah. Because we were there. It wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been there. Now, that can be a gospel conversation, or it can be somebody actually coming in and sitting down and discussing whatever we're discussing. So we've built it up. So the aim is to build up by being a gospel presence, a little Christian cell in the midst of this pagan darkness and actually shine the light into people's lives and attract them and grow and then multiply the groups. Yeah. But the first one I started in Wollongong was in a community centre, which again got shut down because of COVID. So COVID's wrecking everything. But <laughs> but we started with just two people, me and another bloke. And that built up to 12 just by people who frequented that community centre slash library, just by people coming along. So that's the sort of model. It's a sort of, um, I call it drip feed evangelism, you know, yeah. bit by bit over time, being in the same place at the same time every week and seeing the regulars and building relationships, like we were talking recently about the relational part of it, building relationships, being agents for Christ into their lives, including pastoral care when they need help in various ways. Like I've been asked to do a funeral <laughs> the other um, for a member who came into the group into Christ um, through one of our groups in a in a community center, so it's slow work drawing people in by being an attractional model, a helpful serving model. We try and serve where we can uh, the community little area around us. Does that answer your question? I'm not sure. But yeah, it does. You yeah, thank you, Martin. Sounds really good. And um, so you you mentioned that you'd um, written a book. So I wanted to ask you about it because um, we'd been talking and I've read the book. It's called Quantum Mission. So I, I thought it was going to be something about the Avengers or something, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was about mission, which was even better. Um, and I really loved it. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to record this, just for you to be able to share 
um you know why why you wrote it and and what's it about well over the years i've written a lot i'm gonna have a website uh, and i've written lots of articles um on what are the problems with the church i mean I'm not trying to be holier than now here. I was part of all the problems, okay? I'm not saying... Uh, and we still haven't got everything right either. We never will till till Jesus comes again. And he'll fix He'll fix everything. <laughs> but um, I used to write... I've written a lot of articles about what's wrong, what we should do, what the issues are. And I thought, well... And what I, what I think we need, we, the Christian body, need to do is very radical compared to the most leaders... Because I've spoken to probably scores, if not hundreds, of church leaders, and don't get much real buy into what I'm thinking. So that's okay. I mean, people do what they want to do, but I think I mean I'm passionate to see people come to Christ. I see the standard church. I cannot speak for the UK, but I do know the figures in the UK. But the standard church here is not doing what needs to be done. People can argue that what I'm suggesting is not the right idea. Fair enough. I accept that. But one thing I will not accept is people saying we don't need to change. Yeah. When people just want to keep on doing the same thing, despite the fact everybody gets all the figures. And we've just had the largest drop in the last National Church Life Survey, five-year survey. We've just had the largest drop in unchurched and de-churched people in congregations in the history of the survey, which has been going about 30 years. It's another way. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah. So I, I thought I, I I felt I needed to write the book, even if nobody – I'm glad you read it. At least there's one person ready. <laughs> that's, that's a start. <laughs> uh, at least I can put down my thoughts on what I believe and God's laid on my heart that other people can do. I tried to make it a practical book. Um, so to, to try and help other people do creative new things that will be more fruitful for the gospel. That's why I wrote it. Okay. Yeah. Good. And tell us, tell us where the name came from. Quantum Mission. What What's it about? What it oh well, um, I'm also I've always been interested in science. I'm an engineer in my origins. Um, I tend to read stuff on physics and astrophysics and stuff. And quantum, so the, it's an analogy with quantum physics, which has re made us look at a very in a very different way at um, things like matter, time, the universe. You know, I grew up in a school where we taught Newtonian physics, where you had an atom as a nice little solar universe on its own. And it's not like quantum physics has shown us things are not just like that. And they're playing weird. Well, I think our culture is now becoming weird and morphing into rapidly morphing and changing constantly. So quantum physics has made us look at science in a new way. So quantum mission is looking at mission in a new way. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. So it's an analogy with quantum physics and the need to look at things in a totally new way. The way we used to look at things doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really I like, like it anyway. Yeah, no, I really loved it because, you know, you know, some of our journey, Martin, we've, I think, you know, the UK is in some way similar to Australia. Um, yeah. You know, as a massive generalization, people are not interested in going to church whatsoever. Um, no. A lot of people actually have very strong feelings against the church for yeah. sometimes very good reasons. Um, so we've, we've found we've had to learn completely different approaches to make disciples, gather communities, develop leaders. So I really enjoyed hearing someone else saying the same things. Well, that's always encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, it was encouraging. <laughs> um, what, what would you say if you were to pick maybe some of the maybe top two or three challenges or, or shifts in thinking that you you see, you know, being fruitful or need to happen. What what would you what would you say those things might be? Well, I think we need to realise and accept painfully in some cases some particular things. 
um, we have to accept. Well, I believe I'm. You talked about generalizations. I am making. We always make generalizations, but within the generalizations are essential truths. Okay, so here are my essential truths. Yeah. Um, I know there are lots of good things happening here and in and in the UK. Uh, I mean, there's people like Fresh Expressions, which I think are doing good things. Not that I'm that familiar, but um, and I would applaud those and not disparage anything anybody's doing. But the reality is, as I think I said earlier, the decline continues. So what is being done is either not the right thing or there's not enough of it. I think it's in some cases not enough of it. We need to do more of it. But um, the bottom line is that we see decline of the Christian body, um, and it's just not uh, arguing. So that's why I argue for the subtitle of the book, something completely different. And I mean completely, not tweaking what we do, completely different. Because um, the reality is uh, it's an unpalatable fact that the standard church model, I call it the sick church model, that that SIC. That was an accidental anagram that just fell out. It, it's not mean sick being, well, it could say, it's actually it's ironic that it's sick. <laughs> Sunday, S for Sunday century, I yeah. for in drag, trying to get people into church service, and C still running with a Christendom form. That's the sick church that I talk about. Um, that model, we have to realise that that has not been, is not, and cannot be made to be what's needed to reverse the trends of decline in the Christian body. The same thing is... Um, hang on. I want, to pick, I want to pick up on that. You're saying that the sick model, which is about Sunday morning service... Well, right? Sunday, yeah. Sunday, A Sunday thing. Um, dragging people into that. And what did the C stand for? Christendom form the same basic structure of what you do. So you're saying instead of trying to tweak that or dress it up as something that it's not, actually, fundamentally, we need something different. Well, yeah, because that hasn't, missionally, missionally, that has not been working for 30 years in, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long we go on banging our head against the wall and disguise. Maybe not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I call that. I call that pursuing the Einsteinian insanity. Yeah. Uh, keep on doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results because that's what we've been doing, basically. Yeah. Um, or the more and better, trying to do this more of the same thing, but trying to do it yeah. better. It hasn't worked and isn't working. Uh, the second thing is that the, the Western church faces a challenge, missional challenge, it hasn't faced for 1,500 years. Since the fifth century, really, that's how different our, our challenge is. Um, you know, the Celtic missionary movements in Northern England and the Irish movements and so on. Um, and I think this is a key thing to be grasped, that our Western society is unique. Now, people are always claiming uniqueness for various periods. But what's why do I say it's unique? One word sums it up, change. There has never been in human history the rate and amount of change in society, in our culture, ever. So, and the church, the, the sick church, the standard form, is not capable of coping and being adjusting, adapting to rapid rates of change. Um, I mean, I, I've been in it in the standard form of church since I became a Christian, but and been passionate for evangelism. But it, it cannot; it's too rigid. We've got rigid buildings, rigid structures. Um, we meet at the same time everywhere. That's another thing. Trying to do things on Sundays, believing you can grow using Sunday services, when in Australia more than forty percent of Aussies couldn't come on a Sunday if they wanted to, because they go to work or they got other locked-in things. So. The idea of a single day of the week where your your body, your communities meet, is shooting ourselves in the foot. It reduces the mark, the market in business terms. <laughs> yeah. But we still stick to Sundays, and it's not working. Um, I think the challenge is to recognise that we live in a kaleidoscope. Another word I use of 
micro cultures. We haven't got a culture. We have a whole kaleidoscope of micro cultures. So that anything like a one size fits all um, idea or strategy is just not going to work. It will work for a very small number, but it won't work for the the, the neo pagan society in which we now live. Um, and the sick, the, the in drag part of it is trying to get people in. We we might go out and run events and knock on doors and do stuff in the community, but the ultimate intention is to get people back into Sunday service. I call that the go and bring strategy. Whereas what I think we need, I'm proposing and do, is we need a go and stay strategy. That we go out into the community and stay there as Christian little Christian units in what. It, uh, and where we go is only limited by our imaginations. Um, I mean, I've, clubs, pubs, um, play groups. I've got a friend who runs, he turned his um, self-defence class into a missional community. I, in the book, there's a couple of pictures from that. Um, yeah. It can be anywhere, you know. I know the one that's a smash repairer's yard. In other words, it is something completely different. But if we keep on doing what we've been doing, we'll keep on getting what we've been getting, which is decline. So I, I'm happy for people to disagree with me in terms of what we do. I'm not happy when they say we don't need to do something. We just keep going because that's just just continuing the decline. And that, which means more. And this is the key point. More and more people, all Australians and Britons are stumbling in a Christless darkness. Because we are not prepared to change. So we have to be prepared to change radically. Um, also, what I call the salt index, and we, as, as the Christian body declines, what I call is the salt index declines. Now, Jesus' salt, you are the salt, Matthew 5.13. That is less Christians. The density of Christians in society is reducing. So the gospel influence on society is reducing. And all the benefits that that, used to produce an error. So it's it's negative for society generally as well. We've got to accept that, I think. And we have another thing is we have to accept the challenge of developing um, missional strategies that are specifically tailored, sorry, tailor-made. <laughs> so there's your opportunity. <laughs> tailor-made for all these different microcultures which we now are trying to reach. Um, yeah, I think that's about where I um So there's an urgent need to develop something completely different. Now, we can debate this completely something different, but I don't think we should be debating whether we need something completely different. And I mean completely, and that's the hard thing for many Christians who've been in church all their life to swallow, that this model we've always been in and loved um, is the way forward. Well, it, it, all the evidence is it isn't and can't be, sadly. Um, where would you start with, you know, maybe people like us that you've just you've just challenged everything that they they do and hold dear, and I've been in that situation. I've grown up going to, you know, churches of shape all shapes and sizes, lovely people, well-meaning, and I came also to the conclusion with my wife that God was sending us to solve the problem of lostness. Um, and how we would make disciples and gather people in homes in the area of the UK we live. But, you know, what are some of the conversations or some of the encouragements or things that you would say to someone who's hearing what you're saying and agreeing, but thinking, well, how how do I even start? Where do I even start? Because that's everything I know. Well, the first thing I say is just start. Okay. Just start. So, I mean, let's face it, this is God's work. If it's, if it's going to work, I don't like the word work, but if it's going to be fruitful, that's better. Yeah. Then it's be God's work, won't it? It's God doing, not us. Yeah. We have to be willing to do what God, we're the vehicles. We, so I would say just start. Start with, start with, see, that's what I call uh 
reflexive thinking. Uh, I don't know how much time we've got, but it's probably we need to reflect. Most church leaders, and I was for a long time. So again, I'm not saying you know this is everybody's wrong and I'm right. I did this for decades. Um, the most church leaders are formulaic leaders. They follow formula. Whether the formula is how you, the, where, do you, where you do church Sunday morning in a fixed place, fixed time, that's the formula. For, and inside there's another formula that's called the liturgy. Now, whether it's a written liturgy or whether it's an assumed, well, most churches have got a liturgy even if they don't know it. You know, they have a certain order. So they follow the formula. You do these things on a Sunday morning at this time in this place. And I not at all, formulate thinking, and I did all of this, extends also to evangelism. So I used to come along, you know, I've, I've used all the different things that people have come up with, like Christianity Explained, Christianity Explored, Evangelism Explosion. Uh, so I, I get these, but that formula, and they don't always, and often they're from something, nearly always, from, in our case, nearly always from somewhere else, where it seems to work brilliantly there, but it doesn't work so well. But anyway, it's following formula. That's that's formulaic leadership. We need flexitive leadership. And the, the nature of it is in the word. I think I've invented this word, but probably somebody will come along and say, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, flexitive. That means you've got to be very flexible. And you, so one of the things is you don't, like if I'm running a, trying to plant a church i still follow a formula generally you know you choose an area you want to do it in and you choose a planter and you get some funds and you choose a planting team and you set out the date and then you go and plant a church which is pretty much like in most cases like the one you came from but anyway um it's still a formula whereas flexitive thinking you go with the flow basically you do you go where the Holy Spirit blows you and enables him to do. And that, so it's flexitive. Um, but for the person who wants to start, well, do what I did. You go to a community centre or you go to a coffee shop. At the same time every week, you take your computer to do some work if nobody wants to talk to you. You have a Bible bat on the table. Um, now they don't all as don't start that way now where you just send two three four people but i started with one uh, and somebody well, did you've join got a formula now. now you've got a formula now Martin. But, oh well <laughs> except i do i do well that's one thing yeah well yes okay fair enough, i'll bow to that a bit but from that <laughs> point on you have to be flexible and you do what has to be done in that place and that particular group grew from me and a mate sometimes to 12 at this coffee with spirit it's in the book um but go and or go use the resources you've got and if you've got a couple of three christian mates who also want to do something new and they've all got five sorry five dollars i don't know whatever coffee costs in the uk these days yeah. you go and sit in a, in a coffee shop and you sit there and do a bible study and have a prayer time every week for week after week after week after week and you will get into conversations. Firstly, you'll get to know the staff, and they love you because you're regular trade. Even on a bad day when it's raining and cold, no one else comes. You are there. So you build relationships with the staff. You build relationships with the regulars. Get to talking about what you're doing and see what God does. That's what it is. But also, if you're running a church and you've got a play group, this is one of our great I, we're using the word success again, but uh, most fruitful things. We had a standard church playgroup, which is a really good playgroup. I mean, we used to get people coming from all over the place, um, and it was run well. But I thought, well, I thought, well, we're not here just to get people into the church building and give them. It is a community service, but we should be doing more than that. So we turned that into a missional community. So we they always sang little kiddie songs. We started singing Christian songs for kids. And there's a little Bible reading story from often from the children's Bible. We use that. And um, somebody would give a bit of a two minute talk on that Bible passage. And uh, then they introduce some prayer. So they one of the leaders would walk around and ask what the usually women, but not totally, wanted us to pray for. And it developed into every week. We had all the components of a church in it. So that's the issue. We have to. It can be an existing activity that you have some you have some say in. Turn it into a missional community. As I say, we've got friends who've turned smash repair yards and 
self-defense classes and uh, play group, other play groups, not just into mission or communities. Or you do the coffee coffee shop, pub, club thing. You go and meet there every week uh, with the same people, build relationships and draw people in. And you know what another key factor about that is? The coffee shop, pub thing? It's cheap. See, that's another thing about the institutional large church. We can't afford it in the future. It can't afford it. It's just too financially heavy. These little groups cost nothing. Well, cost you a cup of coffee. I mean, you know, if you want, anybody can do it. Take your Bible study, go and sit there regularly with a couple of mates and see what God does. Important caveat, there need to be, it needs to be a place where the same people come every week, not like a restaurant. Problem with restaurants, lots of people, but they're always different people. No, we want to build relationships. So be there with the same people every week and praise God for what he does. I really, I really like what you said, Martin. Uh, you know, I've got a few friends in the UK who, um, you know, they're really passionate, feel called to um, do what I were, you know, would describe as evangelism. Yeah. Um, but you know that whole area of you build you're not building any community so that idea of going and being and like you said just turning up just being there with the same people so that your gospel sharing is actually seed getting into the soil yeah it just seems Absolutely. like you know i know we've talked before about you know some places the ground is hard and times and seasons and everything, but it just, I really love what you're saying. That is, it's still intentional. It's still sharing the gospel, but it feels much more grounded in people, communities. Well, it is, it's, uh, as I said, it's um, installing pieces of um, the kingdom yeast in the dough of a neo-pagan society and letting the yeast kingdom yeast grow in that environment now i want to say they're not always they don't always work that well and we do have ones that we've had to stop um because they really won't get mind we wait a long we, we spend a fair time there and sometimes we have to move this is the flexibility flexitive thinking you need to be prepared to move now try moving your Sunday morning congregation. I've I've moved a congregation half an hour in time and World War Three broke out. Let alone move. Well, and I can I can name you a number of colleagues who tried to change their family service time and got beaten up, or they wanted to move it to the church hall because it's a more family friendly environment from the traditional church, and one had to resign. It caused such a battle. He had to resign. So. I don't think it's possible to do that, but um, we need so we need to be flexible, prepared to move if if the situation requires it. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, can I just mention what I call inflexitive thinking? We need to use the Lego principle. Now, you know, I think I've invented this too, but again, somebody will tell me I'm wrong. But <laughs> you know, a Lego, you Lego, you got all these bits, you got a box of bits because we we've had lots of metal Lego models over the years. We've now got a box of bits, a big box with the grandkids come and play with. But you can make a, you make a model of a particular thing. But then you can break that up and make another model out of the same bits. And you can do it again and again and again. So use the same materials to re keep reproducing, or not reproducing, creating new models. That's the sort of, because the culture is changing rapidly and all the time new cultures are sort of, flowing towards us over the horizon, we need to adapt our communities as necessary. So flexitive thinkers, the right DNA people need to have is the willingness and ability to reinvent themselves according to the context, changes in the context. That's great, Martin. Like, what would you... No, I do understand. I do understand that's not everything. That comes easy to me. I'm not, I don't know why. The idea of, but for a lot of people, they find that very, very hard. And particularly people in the institutional church find it very hard. But, but um, find some. Something, something I often think about, I think it's a helpful question. So here in Somerset, which is a rural region, as you know, of the UK. So there's lots of different towns and villages, no big cities. 
Um, you're over there in Wollongong. When you when you look out on Wollongong or the different areas or New South Wales, what is it that you see Jesus is doing or wants to do? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the rural area. Yeah, I've been in Somerset quite a lot of times. Used to go to um, that part of the world for annual holidays when I was growing up. Um, well, see, it's interesting. I tried to promote this way of thinking because, as you know, Australia, despite it hasn't got many people in it, it's huge, um, huge areas of rural areas, massive. You know, yeah. I think the UK, the UK goes 32 times into Australia. We have a lot of land space. And there are a lot of rural areas where the church is failing even more than faster than in the cities because they can't afford to keep these old churches. I mean, Tasmania's had to sell off huge numbers anyway. Um, but the idea of little communities of lay people set up in whatever venue they can find is cheap and is easy for rural, I'm talking about Anglican type things, parishes to do, but they won't do it. It's very, they're very resistant to anything completely different. I think this idea we can, would work really well in rural areas and help rural um, Christians out in terms of how they fellowship, how they have community and so on, and how they do mission. I think this is ideal for it. Um, so I'm sure Jesus wants to, well, he wants to reach the people and support the people in the rural areas as much as anywhere else. So we need to try and find ways of actually being able to do that without the enormous costs which the standard church is and these areas can't afford. Um, and I think, well, I think he wants to see all those stumbling in darkness one for him. And the problem is that the way we're going, that's becoming more and more percentage of the population, both here and where you are. So he wants us. To do, he wants us to do what he told us to do: go and make disciples. It's yeah. a pretty basic instruction, and we're not doing it in any any reasonable number. Yeah. Again, there are places where that's happening well, but they're not. They're few and far between. <clears throat> um, one of the one of the areas of the book that I particularly like, Martin. You talked about um, what kind of leadership. Now, you know, I think leadership can sometimes be a bit of a red herring because, you know, I think there's probably more important conversations to be had around disciple making, mission and things like that. But um, tell us a little bit about what kind of leadership do you see is needed or what kind of people are needed to be the leaders or the pioneers in, in these kind of movements of missional communities and sharing the gospel well i think um yeah there's two different scenarios there's the institutional church type leadership and there's a the type of leadership that we perhaps are talking about i call this the biggest elephant in the missions operations room um in in the standard church because in the institutional church, it's only the leadership really that can change anything. Because if leaders won't change, and most people, sadly, my experience is that they won't. But they, it's not talked about. It's just not talked about. But I think it's the biggest looming issue if things are to change. But nobody really wants to talk about it. I've tried uh, quite a lot to get this topic up there. Um, I think because... The leader is the, only, is the only person who can really change anything in, in that environment. Um, but in a missional environment, well, we still need leaders in the sense that we need people who are going to forge the path, but you probably wouldn't call them leaders. They could even be called apostles if you want. Um, people will, will crash through, David Livingston types will crash through the jungle into a <laughs> what we now have, which is a pagan land, basically, um, and increasingly so, crash into the jungle where he's, you know, he had to learn the languages of the tribes and they're all different. He had to learn the way they think and the way they act and so on in order to communicate with them. We need to be pioneers or apostles or who will go and do that and take a cohort of Christians with them to set up missional communities 
which can then be expanded, uh, which can then grow. So maybe leadership's not the right word, but um, again, uh, going back to my, they do not need to be formulaic thinkers. They need to be flexitive thinkers. Formulaic thinking requires a book to tell you what to do somehow, or a course to go on, or a, a clinic to attend, or a seminar to attend. So you can learn how to do it, then you go back and do it. No, that's formulaic thinking. We need people who are flexitive thinkers, adaptable, opportunists, creative. They use the resources available. So if the coffee shop's your resource, that's where you go. Um, if you've got a play group, that's what you use. Uh, it's the lemonade principle, you know, life deals your lemons, make lemonade. <laughs> so there's two principles. The lemonade principle, if life deals your lemons, make lemonade. The Lego principle needs to be a uh, way of doing things, need to be constantly reinventable as the cultures, plural cultures, change. Uh, uh, yeah, that sort of leadership. Um, they need to be prepared. I think Michael Moynar got this term from. Need to, the, the people who are going to lead this type of mission need to be able to live on the edge of chaos. That is, stretch the boundaries, be totally flexible. We don't fall off the edge so it becomes <laughs> totally chaotic. There has to be some sort of uh, guidance system in place and live with uncertainty. Now, the only thing certain about the future is uncertainty in our in our world today. We don't know. That, so people need to be able to live with uncertainty and that's not everybody's gig either really um, and probably lastly prepared to do what it takes and to truly do what Paul said you know uh, be all things to all people and by all possible means it, 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 use all possible means in order to save some I think that's the key verse out of the Bible for mission be prepared to do whatever it takes, as Paul was prepared to do. Which, which, when you run that against any sort of set institution, it doesn't work, does it? Because the institution sets the boundaries and the rules, which you can't go beyond. But we need to go beyond. I guess that's my model of... Uh, and the problem now is, again, with the institutional more organized churches um leaders are still being selected the way we've always selected them the way i was selected that you select people on the basis that a type of guy or girl who can run a, a local church and then you give them the training for that type of model and then you launch them to go and run that type of model so we're still getting the same thing. And if you keep on doing what you've been doing, you'll keep on getting what you've been getting, which is decline. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I think these are obvious, really. About what you do about it, maybe they're obvious, but the, the problems are obvious. Yeah, yeah. And I've so, been part of it. I want to say again, I've been part of all of that. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, maybe like as we kind of bring the conversation to a close i'm thinking of people that maybe are wanting to start maybe a missional community or um people who are listening about gathering people in say their home or their workplace or wherever it is that they need to turn up intentionally to gather some people and start making disciples or maybe they've started doing that and they've hit the inevitable challenges or discouragements. Um, what encouragement would you give to people like that? Or, you know, I don't know if there's a couple of stories of maybe um, people that you are journeying with who've worked through these kind of challenges. What What would you What would you say to people in that situation? Well, when they're facing challenges, you mean? Yeah, or to people that are are trying to give it a go, or. I think one of the challenges is not an obvious one, but there is a need to be persistent uh, and to um, not give up too early. Just because you're in a place, you may have been there for six months or something, you don't see much happening. That doesn't mean to say that it won't. Um, so be persistent, even when it looks... I mean, uh, there does come a time when you need to decide to change. I definitely, I've already said that, but... Don't give up. Don't expect you've been there a month and expect 
you know, people coming up and falling on the floor and saying, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen. Be persistent and understand that... It does happen sometimes. You, you're... Sorry? It does happen sometimes. I, oh, yeah, it does happen sometimes. <laughs> it's not very common. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've had that happen. I'm particular. I won't tell the story now. It's not really part of this. But I had a, a young or a middle-aged nurse come and do that one day. But anyway, um, encouragements. If it's well, firstly, bear in mind that what these are small units. But you got to look at the bigger picture. If you if you start off with three people and you end up with another three unchurched or de-churched people, that's a 50% rate growth. Very few institutional churches would even remotely near that. So have the bigger vision. If See, my vision is to plant little mini micro churches in every possible place we can. And then if they're all doing 50 percenters, then that has a big effect overall compared to the large institutional church, which may have a huge number of people, but generally has a very low um, newcomer rate, right? So it's not about, so bear in mind, it's more about the ratio percentages, not about the size of your particular little group. And in any case, we don't want the groups to get that big. We need to multiply them so it gets to a certain size. Like the Coffee with Spirit one in the community centre in the book, that's grown to five different. And they've also morphed a bit they're in different environments as well. They're not just the same repeated. So bear in mind, it's not about the size of your group. It's about the fruitfulness of it. That is the test. So be encouraged. If you're not getting many new people, and also... You actually don't know what God is doing. Example, the other day, um, I was sitting with a, a group. It was about eight, eight, nine, ten at most if they all turn up. Um, but one of the members who himself had been drawn into the group by us being there, he wasn't a Christian, uh, but he was telling me, he goes and has a bit of a flat. This is in a club, right? So he goes and has a bit of a flutter on the one arm bandage, the pokies, you know. And he's telling me they're all these gamblers and they're addicts because they're all, he said, they're all asking him, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And so he's explaining to them what I didn't know that. There's no way I know that. I don't go and play the pokies. But so you, you will be having an influence by just being a gospel presence. At minimum, you'll be having a passive, I call it passive evangelism. You'll be having an interest. So you cannot say really that it's unfruitful just because it doesn't look on the surface that it's true. It's being a gospel presence and seeing what God will do. So perseverance, I think, is mm. and see the bigger picture, understand that you will be noticed. In one group, <laughs> in another pub, we called one of the groups is called the Bible group. This is the middle, it's a fairly low socioeconomic beer swilling type place <laughs> and they're there and they're called the bible group and it, they, it's loudly spoken about the place so you're making an impact yeah. <laughs> for the gospel which wouldn't have happened if you weren't there be encouraged by the fact you are there that god is loving you for it you're doing what he wants you to do uh, see the bigger picture small numbers in a small group is a far better fruitful rate than the large church usually hits not always but usually and you're having a subliminal influence that you don't know about and you don't know what god will do with that mm. and you're having fun with your mates and a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever you're doing so it's a social group as well um, and we've seen good things happening i mean i'll give you one story uh yeah. there was a man i one group met in a community center we couldn't can't do it now because they closed the damn place and the coffee shop's gone so but we were there for several weeks even a few months these two brothers were there every day having their lunch and eventually they came up and asked what are you doing that's the question they come up so what they saw us there every day every week and said what are you guys doing so we explained what we're doing 
And then we got into the conversation week by week, nothing much. But then they started to ask a few questions about, like, you know, um, science and the Bible and stuff. So they had some questions about Christianity. So we started to answer those questions. Then we said, well, why don't you come and join us? Uh, then we can talk about these things week by week. And they did come and join us. They're actually in one of those photographs. And um, then one of them got can got sick, got cancer, terminal cancer. Um, and I visited him in his hospital ward within the last 24 hours of his life. While I was there, and this oh, this man had been a churchgoer as a kid. His family had taken him. Then he'd become an atheist, which is what I was for most of his life. Then he joined our group. Anyway, I visited him his last day on earth in his hospital bed. And as I was just leaving, his doctor came in. And his name was John. I think John, the story's on my website. Uh, John's story, I think it's called. And John, um, uh, and the doctor asked him, John, is anything concerning you? Anything worrying you? which I think is a dumb question to ask a bloke dying of cancer. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but hey, this is an open ward, not a private ward. There were about four or five, six people in it. John's reply was, worried. Why'd I be worried? I'm a Christian. I know Jesus is waiting for me. And I said, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. One of the most great. All that because we were there in that community centre and eventually drew John in by the grace of God. So that's what we're looking for, yeah. John's stories. That's great. Thank you, Martin. And where can people go to buy the book and remind them of your website address again? Well, the book's on nearly all the major book outlets online. Um, Amazon UK, it's on. Um, some of the others are cheaper, but... I think they're not cheaper when you had the what they charge you to post it. So probably Amazon UK. Um, it's on all the major ones anyway. The website's unboundedchurch.com. One word, unboundedchurch.com. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Martin. I appreciate catching up with you and sharing, you guys sharing about some of the things that happened in there. And maybe should we, should we finish off by praying? That would be a great idea. You know, we'd love to, as you know, my my wife is a Western Australian girl, so we love to pray and encourage people that are giving it a go over there. And maybe you could pray for me and others in the UK. Will do. Yeah. Well, Father, we thank you that um, you're at work everywhere because you're the God who is the God of the nations. And you desire people from every tribe, tongue, people group, town, city, um, everyone everywhere. You desire for them to know you, to walk with you. And so we ask that we would understand your heart and your vision and the things that you're wanting to do in our time. And that we wouldn't settle for our versions of the church or ministry or what we think might be possible or might not be and we want to pray for australia for new south wales where martin is and we want to ask that you would raise up laborers and send workers into your harvest fields who are not happy to just do the same old thing but they're prepared to go to turn up at different places in their communities with their families, with their friends, with their work colleagues, and they'll begin to intentionally and lovingly share you with people that don't know you. Mm. So, Father, bring in the harvest in Australia. Mm. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to catch up and share our stories and what we're involved in. Um, particularly want to pray for Ben and his colleagues in Somerset, and also colleagues and people with like-minded like people throughout the UK, Father, that you'll bless their ministries, that you will lead them down the paths you want them to go down, through the doorways you want them to go through, that they may see great fruitfulness in winning the loss for Christ in, in this present darkness of our age, particularly in the Western world. So I pray you will bless him. 
and uh, use him and give him wisdom and guidance as to the steps he takes for the future. Give him encouragement in times when things don't seem to be going all that well. Help him persevere in the knowledge that um, you are sovereign and all-powerful and enable him and his colleagues and friends to um, be kingdom agents into the communities they engage with. And I pray also for the my home country uh, of, of the UK. Um, you'll bless Ben and those like him and wanting to see many one for Christ. So bless them, Lord, and use them all to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.